This is episode number 34 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. The liberal mainstream media, they cannot be objective. They've lost their minds, and the conservative now state-run media has been completely compromised. We, however, at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual one pod that's individual the number one pod the big story this week of course was the sudden and surprising statement of special counsel robert Mueller on wednesday uh, we were not doing a podcast as we normally do on wednesdays normally we do it on wednesdays and sunday los angeles california time uh, but because of scheduling issues we have been in a bit of flux lately and will continue to be for the next uh, couple of weeks we did the uh, podcast on Tuesday. In episode number 33, we focused largely on the issue of whether or not Robert Mueller inadvertently has effectively been Donald Trump's best friend. And I agree that there is a very strong argument. I've written about this for Mediate that Don, uh, Robert Mueller, against everything that Donald Trump has said, 180 degrees from what the president has claimed that this whole thing was a witch hunt, has actually done enormous huge favors for Donald Trump. And after uh, Mueller's statement on Wednesday, my opinion of that has not changed. It's not because Robert Mueller is a bad guy or a dumb guy. In fact, largely it's because he is an honorable person who is working with rules that no longer exist, that no longer dictate reality. He is antiquated. He's, he thinks we're still in the 1970s or 80s. We now live in a world where facts don't matter, truth doesn't matter, nuance doesn't matter, uh, substance doesn't matter, where no one's going to read a 400-and-some-odd-page report, and no one in the public is going to trust, and this is a really important point, no one in the public is going to trust someone else who is an expert, who has read it, and say, okay, I'll go along with them, they're the experts. I mean, for instance, there's over a thousand former federal prosecutors who have signed on to a letter saying that Donald Trump committed obstruction of justice, as proven by the Mueller report. In another day and age, in another era, that might matter. But today, that doesn't matter because no one trusts anyone else. No one blindly is going to say, oh, my opinion is X, Y, or Z because these experts said this was the case. I think about Tom Nichols, who we've had as a guest on the show all the time in his book, The Death of Expertise. Experts no longer have any real power because everyone thinks they're their own expert and they all have their own media to tell them what they want to hear. So we used to live in a world where you were kind of forced, unless you were a complete imbecile, to at least acknowledge what the experts were saying. And most people gravitated towards that. Now you don't have to because you can always find your own expert or alleged expert or media outlet that's willing to tell you what you want to hear. And that's what Fox News has become. That's what the conservative media has become on behalf of Donald Trump. And it's why nothing that Mueller said on Wednesday is going to matter. I mean, the, the liberal media, they thought, oh, this was so dramatic and so powerful. And if you parse what Mueller said, it was devastating to Trump. All of which is true, but also irrelevant. 
because we don't live in that world anymore. It doesn't exist. Correct. They look at what Mueller said and they go, wow, that was a huge deal. And I looked at what Mueller said and I go, that's a nothing burger. That's absolutely a nothing burger. The only thing that the average person is going to take away from that is he could not exonerate Donald Trump from a crime. Correct. That's all they're going to take from that. And not exonerate to the average person doesn't mean a hill of beans. Because, I mean, and a lot of people compared, uh, you know, what happened on Wednesday to when Ken Starr uh, went after Bill Clinton and, and effectively facilitated his impeachment. Ken Starr was under a totally different set of rules with a totally different job. He made it very clear. This was impeachable. This, I believe the president committed this act. He committed perjury, obstruction of justice. Congress, you have an obligation to impeach. Mueller was under completely different set of restrictions. And I really think that the fundamental, one of the fundamental problems here is that there's a misunderstanding, even I've had a misunderstanding, of what Mueller's job was, or at the very least, what Mueller perceived his job as being. When you really look at what Mueller saw his job as, it was, is he able to exonerate the president on conspiracy and obstruction of justice? Because in his mind, charging him was never an option, something Bill Barr lied about. But the reality here is that Mueller could not have indicted if he wanted to because it's a sitting president and it's DOJ policy. And so effectively, the only thing he was looking to do was, can I prove there was no crime? And he was willing to say definitively, no, there was, I can't do that on obstruction, which in the real world means he's guilty. But that's not the world we live in because that's not what he's saying. And the Trump fans and the Trump media can go, well, he wasn't proven because all he can do is say not exonerated. No, not exonerated means under this context means guilty. And as far as the conspiracy part of this, All that Mueller was able to conclude was there was insufficient evidence for an indictment. He didn't really even exonerate him on that, despite what Bill Barr and Donald Trump have continually said. This was not about collusion. They keep saying no collusion. That's baloney. You read the report, there's plenty of collusion. And no obstruction of justice. There was obstruction of justice, plenty of it. Way more than Bill Clinton committed when he was impeached though not removed from office. But Robert Mueller still thinks we're living in a world where people will do the right thing, where nuance matters, where people will read a 400-plus page report, and that he doesn't even have to testify. The idea that he doesn't even have to testify is is completely absurd. It is absolutely... It's just flat-out ridiculous. I mean... And, and I don't know whether Mueller has wimped out, if he's just so afraid of his own reputation, whether or not he got intimidated by the whole witch hunt thing. I don't know what it is. But, uh, and there have been people who have been urging Mueller to testify. Uh, Robert De Niro wrote a bizarrely uh, rather powerful op-ed in the New York Times. It was bizarre to me that, one, he's an actor, two, he was chosen because he plays Robert Mueller on Saturday Night Live. But Robert De Niro's words in the New York Times were quite eloquent, urging Robert Mueller that he has to testify. It's his obligation to do so. I'm not sure it would make that much difference now anyway. It's probably too late. But the reality is that for him to not testify is a complete cop-out. And he's doing everything he possibly can to not 
testify, even saying during his statement that his testimony would not go beyond the report and effectively saying, look, I don't know why you're calling me because my report speaks for itself. He, if he's that naive and that delusional that he thinks that the, the bulk of the American public, especially Trump fans, are going to read a 400-page-plus report that's not easy to read, uh, he's completely uh, delusional. You cannot be serious. That, that's the reality of this. And it's sad, but that's the truth. That's the real world we live in. And so what do we do with all this? Well, I mean, to me, one of the, the main takeaways in all this was if Mueller had given even that rather nondescript statement at the beginning of this process, which I mean is when the Mueller report was released. If the first thing we had heard about the Mueller report was Robert Mueller coming out and giving that statement, and then that was the context for which how people would perceive the report before Bill Barr got a chance to completely deceive the public about what was in it, what the conclusions were, and how Mueller came to those conclusions, I do think we'd be in a different position. I do believe that Donald Trump would already be facing impeachment, that impeachment inquiries would already begin. I'm, I'm rather confident of that. Correct. But we don't live in that world. You only get one bite of that apple. And Bill Barr was smart enough to understand how powerful perception is and creating a narrative is. And Barr, to me, is more dangerous than Trump because I think Barr is smarter than Trump. And Barr understands the way this game is played. He's got real power as attorney general, and, and he's gone full MAGA. I mean, he is as much of a cult member as anybody. And he understands people aren't going to read a report and that the conservative media, all they need is just a fig leaf of cover for what they already want to say, which is this was a big nothing, let's move on, witch hunt, case closed, there's nothing here. That's all bull crap. But that's all they need because as long as Trump holds on to his 40%, the Republicans in the Senate will be too cowardly to do anything and nothing's ever going to happen. That's the reality of this. So what do we do now about impeachment? Uh, there, you know, There's lots of people, including my good friend, Democratic Congressman John Yarmouth, who I helped convince... Uh, via my podcasts and my personal conversations to go from being against impeachment to be in favor of impeachment. He's now basically the leader of the impeachment caucus in the Democratic Congress. And I'm sure we'll get him back on the podcast sometime soon. And, And philosophically, I still believe in that. I still agree that Donald Trump needs to be impeached from a historical perspective as well as from the standpoint of what the truth of this matter is. That if Donald Trump isn't impeached, who the hell can ever be impeached in the future? And if you set this rule that you're not going to impeach somebody no matter how much they deserve it simply because their own party isn't going to vote for it, well, my God, that's the ultimate heckler's veto. That's the ultimate situation of providing uh, a precedent that is going to be horrendous in the future. Because now no one will ever get impeached. A president will effectively become a king. That's essentially what's going to happen here if it hasn't happened already. And I wrote a column today, which I urge you to check out. You can find it either by Googling it or going to my Twitter feed or the Individual One Pod Twitter feed. It's all there. Entitled, A Great Country Would Have Already Impeached Trump, But Maybe We Should Just Admit We No Longer Qualify. That's where I currently am on impeachment. And it's a rather long commentary. It's got a lot of important information in there. It's somewhat nuanced. I go through all of the major reasons why I think Trump should be in a rational world, impeached. They are varied. 
They are substantive. Uh, they are powerful. Some of them are not discussed nearly enough. Like, for instance, I never hear anybody mentioning the firing of Attorney General Jeff Sessions in light of the way Bill Barr has handled the Mueller report should absolutely be an impeachable offense because it's clear and obvious the only reason why he fired him was because he had recused himself from the Russian investigation. Jeff Sessions did everything Donald Trump wanted except he recused himself from the Russian investigation. And then the day after an election, he gets fired. And then he gets replaced by Bill Barr, who has actively deceived the public in an obvious and unfortunately somewhat successful attempt to kill the impact of the Mueller report. That's obstruction of justice. In fact, the the firing of Jeff Sessions might be the most obvious and dramatic act of obstruction of justice that Donald Trump committed. But make sure you go and check that column out. I'm sure at some point we'll go through all these reasons in another episode of the Individual One podcast. But I I actually want to go through part of the column that deals with what do we do now? Now that we have enough information to impeach Donald Trump, what do we do? And here's what I wrote. The answer to the question of what to do about all this is not nearly as obvious as the evidence against Trump. My primary desire for Trump to at least be impeached, even if it was always obvious that barring an economic collapse, the Republican Senate would never remove him, has always been from the viewpoint of history and our future. If Trump is not at least impeached for his already proven conduct, and to be clear, there's lots of acts which may have happened, including in the realm of quote-unquote collusion with Russia, that have not been sufficiently proven. And how could a future president, even one more overtly dangerous than Trump, ever be removed? The many hor- horrific precedents being set here would include that impeachment is totally off the table unless their own party agrees with it. A president's own party agrees with it. However, as a practical matter, It is now possible that impeaching Trump may lead to an even greater quote-unquote victory for the president than I had previously thought. This calculus has changed because it now is very clear that the forces assembled to go into this battle are not prepared to do so in a way that at least results in an honorable defeat. The best proof of this is that the process hasn't even started yet. If Trump really is such a great risk to the republic, why is there no haste? Let me stop reading from the column there for a second. That's incredibly important. I mean, and that's going to be one of the major arguments that Republicans have against impeachment. If, if your worry is that Donald Trump is a, is, a, is a risk to the Republic, then why the hell are you waiting to impeach? If, you're, if your goal is to remove him from office because he, he, he is a risk to our country, that he's too dangerous to be there, then why are you waiting At any moment, we could theoretically have a massive international crisis where this guy would be the president of the United States. So either you don't really believe it, right? I mean, if you look at it from the standpoint of getting a divorce or firing somebody, you don't fire somebody in general for something that they did six months ago or a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. You don't divorce somebody. Let's use maybe a better example. Let's say you're going to divorce somebody because you think they're a danger to your kids, right? Well, if they're a danger to your kids, you do that immediately. You don't wait around and let them continue to have access to your kids. Well, that's effectively what's happening here by, well, we'll keep all options on the table, see where we go. That's That doesn't work in this situation. Back to what I wrote in the column. Contrary to this reality is that Robert Mueller, an honorable but antiquated public servant who is ill-serviced 
ill-suited for these bizarre times, made a uh, supposedly dramatic statement Wednesday that was far too nuanced and reserved to impact real voters and was easily dismissed by the state-run conservative media as meaningless. In short, what Mueller might have said, uh, what Mueller said might have been effective enough if it happened when his report was released, but now, especially after the damage was done by Bard, is simply too little too late. His current unwillingness to testify publicly strips the impeachment movement of its most powerful weapon. Similarly, Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, is unwilling to make a sacrifice for the country and testify even under subpoena against Trump. Currently in prison, Michael Cohen's credibility has been fairly or not mostly shot. John McCain is dead. Mitt Romney has proven that he's a coward. McCain's alleged best friend, Lindsey Graham, has been seemingly compromised. Jeff Flake and Bob Corker are no longer in the Senate. George W. Bush has muted himself and his parents are no longer with us. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, Nancy Pelosi is afraid of her own shadow. And this has rendered key Democrats like Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff, the chairman of key committees, largely impotent in this fight. Not even Bill Clinton, who has obvious credibility in the topic, has come out in favor of Trump's impeachment. If you're going to take on a dastardly rule breaker like Trump in an impeachment fight, you cannot do so shorthanded and in a timid manner. It is quite clear that we no longer remotely have the type of leadership our founding fathers counted on to courageously come through in challenging times like these. So while philosophically I still strongly support Trump's impeachment, perhaps it is time that we accept the sad reality that we are just not the country we once were. And we are no longer capable of doing greater brave things, at least in the political realm. Maybe Trump should remain president, not because he deserves to, but because he is the president that our politically pathetic nation now deserves. Now, in that column, I don't come to a firm conclusion, but I am uh, very much wavering now on whether or not impeachment really is the right way to go. Not because of philosophical or factual issues. But be, and I'm somebody who has made a, a lifetime of fighting battles I knew I could not win, but that the, where the goal was an honorable defeat. And I'm all for an honorable defeat, but I don't see the scenario where this turns into an honorable defeat because of the reasons I just provided and further go into in this column. I just don't see it. And until I do, and, it's, and the more delay there is, that's the thing that's most depressing. The more delay there is, it's not like the case for impeachment is going to get stronger unless Trump does something really dramatic or unless Robert Mueller testifies. I guess to me, where I am on this right now is if Mueller testifies and it goes really well, go ahead and do this. If Mueller does not agree to testify publicly, forget about it. If, they, if I had to choose right now, I'd be like, forget about it. It's not worth it. You're going to get destroyed. Trump's going to end up becoming uh, more victorious, more dramatically than he could possibly have ever imagined here. You're just going to look like idiots, and you're really not going to do very much to preserve the historical precedent. There'll be some of that. I mean, it's not going to be the worst thing that could ever possibly happen, but the ends may not justify the means or vice versa. So it's really all up to Mueller now. If Mueller decides he's going to testify publicly, then let's go ahead and do this, bite the bullet, and uh, and see where we go from there. If he's not, this is not worth it. It's just not worth it. Now, there's several other uh, things that have happened in the last couple of days I want to mention in our time that we have. There was the transcript of a phone call that was made from John Dowd, Donald Trump's lawyer, 
to Michael Flynn, or I guess technically Michael Flynn's lawyer, about uh, whether or not Michael Flynn was going to cooperate with Donald Trump. And, you know, in a rational world, like in the world of Watergate, this would have been huge news because there were many things about this voicemail transcript that were fascinating. The two that I found to be most interesting were, it is clear, at least to me, from John Dowd's voicemail transcript, that he is terrified that his client might have actually committed some really horrendous offenses, maybe even to the, in, the, in the realm of, of treasonous activity, because he's talking about uh, asking whether or not we have a, a, uh, a national security issue with regard to Donald Trump. And then there's also the issue of him clearly dangling a pardon for Michael Flynn on behalf of the president of the United States. Those are things that used to matter. And they certainly used to matter to Republicans, but no longer. Now, what's really amazing, though, is that there was one transcript with regard to Michael Flynn that has not been released. The Department of Justice, run by Bill Barr, Trump's personal lawyer now, has refused to turn over a transcript of the Michael Flynn phone call with the Russian ambassador that got him in trouble in the first place. Now, I don't know what's on that phone call, but I do know that if anything like this had happened with Hillary Clinton, that Republicans in the conservative media would be having their heads explode, presuming that this was the smoking gun and that Bill Barr was blocking it from becoming public. Correct. That's the way it would be perceived. And it's unbelievable that we've now reached this point. It's even more amazing that people actually thought Bill Barr was a, was a remotely legitimate actor in all this instead of just a henchman, a hatchet job guy for Donald Trump, which is what he is. That's what the Attorney General of the United States has become. And he went off the rails in an interview he did a couple days ago with CBS saying that the whole Russian conspiracy theory was bogus. That's not what the Mueller report says. The Mueller report has plenty of evidence that there was uh, some semblance of collusion and cannot come to a, to a definitive conclusion about conspiracy, largely because there was so much damn obstruction. Even Trump himself tweeted after Mueller's press conference about there being, quote-unquote, insufficient evidence, which was amazing. It was amazing that Donald Trump tweeted that there was insufficient evidence that he had colluded or conspired with the Russian government in the 2016 election. This is the same guy who claims that it was the Mueller report exonerated him. No collusion, no obstruction. Now he's reduced to, well, there was insufficient evidence and now our system, that means I'm not guilty or innocent, which is not true. He said innocent, but that's not what happens. You don't become innocent because there's insufficient evidence, especially when you've obstructed so much that the investigator can't get to the conclusion. Doesn't have enough information. People destroyed evidence. People took the Fifth Amendment. The president himself didn't even agree to do an interview. Said 37 times in written answers that he couldn't remember key events. That's why there was insufficient evidence to prove a conspiracy. I don't know whether or not technically one ever actually occurred, but it's not because it was a bogus theory, as Bill Barr is now claiming. And he goes into these stupid FBI, you know, Page and Strozik texts, these two uh, lovers, as Donald Trump refers to them, bragging about how they're going to take down Donald Trump as if it's com- totally irrelevant. And that the, the idea that this is the, the, the main focus of the Russian investigation is totally absurd. You cannot be serious. But that's what the cult wants. The cult wants something to hang their hat on. That's what they do, because that's what cults do. They, they, they want to be able to rationalize. So this is the best they've got is these BS text messages from these FBI agents who ended up having nothing to do with the final Mueller report. 
But that's what, you know, Trump counts on. I love the poorly educated. And it works. And now the Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, is substantiating this in a major television interview with CBS. That's where we are on this. And then we have got Donald Trump on the White House lawn on television saying he wants to go after Australia and Great Britain for their role in the origins of the Russian investigation. It's just flat out ridiculous. I, I couldn't even That actually happened before the last episode of the Individual One podcast. Somehow I missed it. We've become so desensitized that that alone, which would be a massive news story for weeks in a normal administration, isn't even discussed to the point where I somehow missed it. It's unbelievable. And what's really amazing to me about this is that it seems like Trump gets all the privileges of being president and none of the responsibilities. What I mean by that is how his acts get interpreted. In fact, the Mueller report itself does that. He got all the privileges of being president. He can't be indicted, but we're not going to make an allegation because he can't defend himself. But then when it came to interpreting his actions, uh, his fans are all like, well, Trump doesn't really understand what obstruction of justice is, and so we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And Mueller himself gave him all sorts of benefit of the doubt when it came to the burden of proof. But let me give you another example of, uh, of this weird uh, situation where Trump gets all the benefits and, and none of the responsibilities. Trump tweeted, not once but twice this week, that the, the investigation and the, had, quote, not, I had nothing to do with Russia helping getting me elected. That's what Trump said. I had nothing to do with Russia helping get me elected. He tweeted that, deleted it because it was another mistake in the tweet, and then tweeted it again, saying, I had nothing to do with Russia helping get me elected. That's a quote. Now, that's that's Trump acknowledging in writing in a presidential declaration publicly to millions and millions of people on Twitter. He said it twice. And then he went out on the White House lawn and said, Russia had nothing to do with helping me get elected. And the media largely portrayed that as, well, Trump is contradicting himself or, you know, he appeared to say one thing and now he appears to say another. No, he said it twice in writing. And this is what I mean by getting the, the benefits of being president, but not the responsibilities. When you're president of the United States and you say something in writing twice, I'm sorry, you don't get to then say, well, the way it was written was inartful and I didn't really mean it that way. Even though to me, there's no ambiguity about saying I had nothing to do with Russia helping get me elected. That's pretty darn clear. I can theoretically see how if you you look at it in a very convoluted way, you might be able to interpret that that's not what he meant. But he said it twice in writing. And as president, that matters when you're president You are not supposed to be able to make statements in writing and then take them back saying, well, I didn't really mean it that way. This is not an off-the-cuff statement. This is in writing. But Trump doesn't get held to any responsibility on that. So he gets all of the privileges and none of the responsibilities through all of this, which is why he's going to skate. And I mean, and the fact that he got away with tweeting about the Mueller press conference saying there was insufficient evidence after saying for years that this is, or over a year plus, that this was a witch hunt, there was no collusion. What do you mean insufficient evidence? Insufficient evidence does not prove you innocent. In fact, when there's that much obstruction, it goes to the idea that you're probably guilty. 
I now believe more in the quote-unquote collusion theory after the Mueller report than I did before. I still don't know whether or not you could define it as conspiracy, but clearly there was all sorts of collusion. And clearly the Russians did in fact try and may have even succeeded in helping to elect Donald Trump, which was Robert Mueller's number one point. He began and finished his press conference with that point. And that's what we ought to be focused on. And here we got the president of the United States calling Bill O'Reilly, former Fox News Channel broadcaster, who I've been on his show a few times, know him very little bit. But he actually called, the president called Bill O'Reilly, who now just basically does a, a webcast, And he told him that Mueller hates him over a $15,000 country club dispute where Mueller was a member of one of Donald Trump's country clubs and that this was the cause of Mueller having a vendetta against him. Really? Come on, people. It's just flat out ridiculous. I I mean, even Bill O'Reilly could not have really believed that that was the case. But Trump is doing this because he needs... I think he's probably testing out on O'Reilly whether or not people are actually going to buy that kind of bull crap. That, that this is somehow the reason for the animus. And I go back to the, my number one point on Mueller, which is it's exactly the opposite of that. Not only did Mueller not have it, a vendetta against Donald Trump, he's his best friend. I urge you to go back and check out my column, uh, which I wrote about that topic, uh, which you can find at our web, our, not only our website, but also uh, our Twitter feed, which is individual one pod. Or just Google it, because uh, I feel more strongly about that than I than when I wrote it. Intended or not, it's not intended. I don't believe that he really respects Trump or that he's trying to protect Trump. I believe that uh, Mueller was ill suited for all this. He's an antiquated guy. He's an honorable fellow living in a time that no longer exists, following the rules, being straight by the book. And this plays right into Trump's hands. And I think he might have been a little intimidated by the whole charge of of being on a witch hunt and wanted to prove that he was not on a witch hunt. So he gave Trump even more benefit of the doubt than he deserved. He gave Trump every possible benefit of the doubt. And because of that, Trump is going to skate here. That and the fact that his own attorney general, Bill Barr, uh, muted or killed the impact of the Mueller report, which should have been profound because it does nothing Nothing at all what Donald Trump claims. The, read the damn report. There's Republican Congress people constantly spewing on Twitter about what the report says when they clearly, obviously have not read it. It's, it's just pathetic. The whole thing is just pathetic. Now, speaking of pathetic, we got this story that's gotten maybe more coverage, at least as far as the amount of time it's been in the news cycle, than Mueller's press conference, which is this story involving the, the USS John McCain, the naval ship, that was effectively hidden and that people who were wearing John McCain, USSS uh, John McCain hats on the ship were not allowed at Donald Trump's Memorial Day event in Japan and that there were emails from White House officials urging the Navy to hide the John McCain name ship from the sight of Donald Trump because somehow the, the king's eyes were going to melt if he saw the John McCain ship because he hates John McCain because John McCain was a real man and Donald Trump is not and that uh, Trump can't stand him because Trump was uh, McCain was a man of actual character and Trump was not. Listen, that's obviously my interpretation, but that's clearly what's going on here. Now, I think the story is a bit overblown because it doesn't appear to me that all that much happened? Yeah, if, if in fact service members were kept away from the speech because they were wearing John McCain hats, that's ridiculous, absurd, terrible, awful. 
Uh, it, there's no proof that, Mc, that uh, Trump knew about this. Uh, it it appears as if some of the things that have been alleged didn't actually happen. I'm not trying to diminish the outrageousness of this. In any other presidency, this would be something, again, we would talk about for weeks, and it would uh, cause the uh, president's approval ratings to go into the crapper. But we're we're so desensitized that it's, it's kind of strange to me that this story has gotten as much play as it has. The most important part of it is that people around this president view him as a king. We cannot upset the king even if it means uh, allowing uh, service members on a ship that has a name of a guy that our president doesn't like, even though he's from the same political party, we've got to keep them away from a Memorial Day event. Yeah, it's all completely outrageous. But uh, in the larger scheme of things, probably not the biggest scandal uh, even of the last few days with regard to the, the Trump administration, especially since we have not been able to prove yet that Trump had anything to do with it. But it is incredibly important to point out that this is how Trump's people view him. And that's scary. That is scary because what happens in the case of a crisis? This is also perfect proof that no one wants to bring him bad news because you don't bring a, a, a maniacal, insane king bad news because bad things might happen to you. Especially, by the way, in light of the fact that uh, Kim Jong-un who is a favorite of Donald Trump's, the, the uh, tyrant of North Korea, it now turns out that he killed multiple aides who were involved in the failed second summit between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump, which I'm sure made Donald Trump very envious. Correct. Because I'm sure he would love to be able to get away with that. Maybe he could. He probably would be able to get away with it on Fox News Channel. In fact, if he ever did kill some of his aides, that were responsible for a failed summit. I'm sure Fox News Channel would, uh, you know, report on it for a, a half a day and then move on to something else, and say we got more important matters to dis- to discuss, because uh, that's the way the world works now. But uh, but we're we're not that far from that. We're not that far from that. As pathetic as that is, as sad as that is, as scary as that is, that's the reality. We're, we got people who think they're dealing with a king, and uh, and this is what tyrants do. They kill people because a summit didn't go the way they wanted to. Imagine, by the way, if Trump had actually won that summit, which he did not. He got his ass kicked, and he's continuing to get his ass kicked by Kim Jong-un in every possible way. I have to mention the Mexican tariffs. This is unbelievable. 5% proposed tariff on Mexican goods. Why? Because supposedly this is going to stop the illegal immigration inflow from Mexico into the United States. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Nobody, nobody can logically explain how these tariffs are going to lead to fewer people coming from Mexico to the United States. It's absurd. It's just flat out ridiculous. Use your brain. I mean, even if the tariffs work and they cause economic hardship for Mexico, what's that going to mean? More people are going to come to the United States. or It's certainly not going to mean less people are going to come to the United States. And by the way, I thought we were supposed to have this giant wall on our southern border paid for by Mexico that was going to take care of this problem. What happened to that? That was all bullshit. It was all a big lie. It was a total lie. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Yeah, it's all just a lie. It was all just a lie. And now, you know, we're doing crazy things that are not conservative they're incredibly liberal by you know, traditional standards, all to try to pretend like you're fighting against a problem you couldn't solve because you were a liar and didn't fulfill your promise. And then Lindsey Graham is the only major Republican who says this is a great idea, who specifically 
on Twitter had said previously that this kind of thing was a bad idea. This very specific idea of a tariff on Mexico would be a bad idea. But now he's such a suck up for whatever reason, why he's compromised. I'd love to know something's going on there. But Lindsey Graham is now in favor of what Donald Trump is doing with the Mexican tariffs. The stock market is not. So I hope you enjoyed your stock losses this week, all because of this crazy idea involving the Mexican tariffs. As always, I will uh, defend Donald Trump when warranted. This On this day, he's being the victim of an unfair news story involving Meghan Markle, uh, obviously the American actress who became now the, uh, a duchess, married to Prince Harry, uh, he's over in, in uh, England now preparing for that visit. And the press uh, baited him into talking about Meghan Markle, who was critical of Donald Trump during the 2016 campaign. And Trump very casually said, he clearly had no idea what she had said about him. She, he very casually said, well, I didn't know that she had been nasty. And he said in a very low-key, monotone sort of way, obviously no animus. He was not going off the rails. He complimented her, said she'd be a great royal, wished her the best, the whole business. And the press has gone completely back crap crazy, Uh, somehow trying to create a feud between him and Meghan Markle, saying that uh, he, you know, called her nasty, which technically I guess he did, although Trump people have also put out a tweet saying he never used the word nasty, which he obviously did, but it was his his intent was not to call her nasty. He was responding to a question that he had no knowledge about. He was overall very complimentary. This was a very reserved statement by Trump standards, and it's a big nothing burger. So on that, I will defend Donald Trump, but that's just about it. And that will be it for this edition of the Individual One podcast. As we always end with the percentages for whether or not Trump will uh, be able to finish his first term in office and be reelected. I'm going to keep the percentage of him uh, not finishing his first term in office at 5%. I'm going to slightly reduce the chances of his reelection, mainly because Joe Biden continues to dominate the Democratic uh, primaries, although they've not technically even started yet. And if Biden is the candidate, I do believe he will beat Donald Trump. But I'm going to put that number at 40 So 5% and 40% of the official Individual One podcast numbers for episode number 34. Uh, Until next time, which will probably be next Thursday. Again, our schedule is in flux, so please stay bear with us. We will eventually plan to get back to our Wednesday-Sunday recording schedule, but probably next Thursday will not be on Wednesday, that's for sure. But we will put out another episode of the podcast soon. Please remember, uh, if you can... Uh, to subscribe to the show, rate, review it, and uh, also follow us on social media. Share the show via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual1Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. My name is John Ziegler. Until next time, you're listening to the Global Story Network.